What's going on, everyone? Welcome to a, another edition of the podcast. LWE Lee Collins here, kicking off 2022. Been a hot minute since we've had one of these interviews, been able to uh, share and post, but uh, looking forward to getting back into the swing of things uh, as we kind of get into, I guess you could say this is season three now of doing this. Uh, we started this back uh, during the uh, start of the pandemic. And uh, just kind of carried over. And, man, we've had some great interviews uh, with lots of folks that I've uh, been very blessed to know, uh, not only locally, but also uh, from all over the country. But I'm super excited. This is a great one to kick off this new run of podcast interviews. I get a chance to talk to a longtime friend, lifelong classmate, um, one of the one of the best all-around athletes I had a chance to, uh, to be around. And... Uh, I'm thankful I can still call a friend even to this day. That is the one and only Mr. Vernon Walton. Some people call him money. Some people call him Walt. I'm just happy to call him friend. And brother, what's going on, man? It's been a minute. Hey, I can't I can't call it, man. Just uh, you know, keep my head above water and working and enjoying life for what it's worth at this point. And uh, with all the goings on, just just happy to be able to to be here to have conversations with you. And, and I'm honored to be uh, here and be a part of this with you. Well, man, I, there's so we can go on and I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to do this as best as I can in a chronological fashion but uh first and foremost how are you doing uh how has things been for you uh I think you you're you're living still in Maryland right no I've uh, we've actually relocated to the uh Richmond Virginia area okay so you just kind of moved over a little bit not too far away Right. Yeah. Get a little bit closer to the South. Uh, you know, being home is Abbeville and my wife being from Fairfax, Virginia. So this is a, a happy medium for us. Uh, so we can kind of, you know, do what we need to do and still be a part of the things that we love to do. All right. Any any drastic difference between Maryland and Virginia that you picked on away? I will say that uh, the pace is actually a little different than I thought it would be because where I was in Maryland, I was right in the, the Baltimore area. Uh, and here being in the Richmond area, I assumed it would be just as busy, but it's not. I actually got the uh, country feel and got a little land out here. So you, you'd almost uh, blink your eyes and think that you were in Abbeville somewhere with the way it looks here. But I'm only three miles from the city. Have you set up your own batting cage yet? I haven't. <laughs> I thought about it. <laughs> uh, I have the space for it. Hadn't got to it yet, but uh, I've been doing things here, setting up the shop. And I got some chickens out here in the yard that I that I take <laughs> care of. So. You know, you, you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. So well, I, I just embrace it. I was fixing to say, because you, you, you basically kind of grew up, you lived in the country. You lived right there between going from Abbeville to Hodges anyway. And uh, you were um, with a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of woods and, <laughs> and like, yes, sir. so uh, not too, too much of a difference. So that's a good setup. And, and before we get kind of back into our history and stuff like that, kind of tell everybody again, what you're doing, because I think what you're doing right now, cool you kind of got into a little bit of the uh the uh, attire and merch kind of business a little bit but tell everybody about your business that you're uh, that you're doing now moving over to virginia now absolutely uh we started back in 2018 uh with day zero sports uh which is an apparel company uh we do uh uniforms we do uh embroidery in-house we do you know just about anything that can be done on the apparel side of the house and uh it's been been great doing that it's been a good uh break from my mind, uh, something to do, give me something to focus on that's not so technical uh, like the career I had when I was in the military. So uh, playing a lot of travel softball, you know, in the military and, and things and, and noticing that a lot of companies were, were kind of beating people over the head with the, the products that they were given and the quality was suffering. So we got in there and we learned it and learned the processes and made the investment and, and purchased our own equipment to get everything done. And it, it's been a great success and it's growing and uh, we're having a ball doing it. Now, is that that's something that's right there where you're living at, too, you said? You set it up right there? Yes, yes. Uh, we When we purchased our house, we made sure it had a little extra space and had a garage here that was converted into a room for the guy we bought the house from. And it's the perfect setup, uh, perfect size for me to bring down my equipment and set up my, my commercial embroidery machines and my commercial presses and printers. And everything is, is right here local. And, uh, you know, the Richmond laws and everything is set up so that it's, it's user-friendly for the small business. So me having it here at the house is, is very easy to do and uh, provides a, a layer of customer service that, that people can't get at big box stores because if they want to do something, they can just come right here and sit down with me and we can talk about it and make it happen. Man, that's super cool. And, and uh, 
if you uh, if you're listening to this and you're from the Abbeville area, you're probably familiar with some of Vernon's uh, designs and some of the things he's gotten out there for various uh, folks here in Abbeville for various teams and whatnot. And uh, it's just uh, been some really really cool stuff. And uh, I know that you uh, you've just been able to have a uh, have a lot of state being able to have that connection still here with your hometown has got to mean a lot for you too. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Absolutely. And, you know, you're never forgetting where it came from and how much I got from the community that I grew up in in Abbeville. And, you know, it's something to be said about a person from Abbeville who can go out into the world and come back and reach back and provide some of the learn uh, to the community and, and to give those that are there now, you know, other avenues of approach and other things that are out there uh, that could be done. Uh, in life well i tell you man uh that's where I, that's where our history starts man it starts in abbeville uh i believe and and again mom <laughs> you have three kids you lose some hair you go through a pandemic you know memories come and go sometimes but <laughs> if 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 i was a betting man i would say the very first time that you and i probably had an interaction was the baseball field more than likely because we grew up playing baseball together there in the uh, in the rec league in Abbeville, youth and whatnot, and uh, I can I I can remember very clearly how uh, intimidated I was by you because you were just so dang good, man. <laughs> uh, I used to be scared to death because when we did talk and got along and stuff, I remember the first time I think one of the first times that I I was uh, playing against you and you were pitching, and I was like, oh, there's no way I'm gonna get a hit. There's just no way, no way. <laughs> So I was just always like that, but I was just such an all of them, man. I, I was really blessed to grow up around a lot of uh, guys and girls who were just such great athletes and, you know, guys like you and, and Venture and, uh, you know, like Rico Brownlee and, and, and just all these guys that we kind of grew up with and, um, you know, and then later on in middle school and high school and stuff, that would kind of expand a little bit even more. Anthony Overholt, I remember – uh, you know, when he kind of came into the scene and stuff and basically. So what are some of your memories from those days in, 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 in Dixie Youth Baseball? And I would tell you, it was just, um, it was great to even, looking back now, it was great to even be involved in it at that point. And uh, Dixie Youth Baseball was 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 the epitome of, of what it was taking to get us into the game and get us involved in the game and, and just getting out there and seeing each other and, thing about the guys that, that we grew up with we all we played sports all year you know all year we yep. did something we played together and and we played together on the same teams and against each other growing up uh, and i just remember what it was like to walk around with with the dixie youth patch on your uniform and going to play different people representing abbeville and that was that was just amazing man going up and you know you always play against the anthony overholtz and the monte haskells and the ellis beltons and the venture beltons and i mean i could go on for days you know with some of the players that i've played against and yeah, man, you're so right. You know, you think about all the guys that we played together with, and then now, you know, I've been very blessed to see the kids that have come out of this second and third generation, even wave of athletes that Abbeville has provided. But, you know, talking about the Dixie youth program, man, it was just, it was basically, it was an extension of, of, of our school days that, you know, conversations would carry over from the field to the school, the school, the field. And, and, and that was just a brotherhood that I think a lot of times um, kind of gets taken for granted of now with this this newer millennial generation, man. You know, we didn't have the social media and, and cell phones and the things of, that were easily distractions for us back then. I mean, if you weren't outside playing sports, you just really didn't think you had anything else to do. So it was like you go find a pickup game of basketball, you go find a pickup game of baseball somewhere or somehow – and you were just active and outdoors. And I think that's what made that time together special for our guys. That's exactly right, Lee. Man, it, it was just always something to do, somewhere to go. And, you know, outside is where it was at. You know, I was really lucky to be out there where we lived, out in the country. I had Rico and Brian Brownlee on one side and the, the uh, big-time Antonio Willis from Due West on the other side of me. So yeah. uh, I had athletes and, and, and members of my, my squad that helped bring me along in, in sports you know, right down the street. So there was no excuse for me to be sitting in the house looking at the TV when there was so much going on outside. And, you know, we didn't really know it at that point, but all of that running around we did, playing sports, when, when the seasons changed, we changed. And that was all making us better and preparing us for life, you know, and, and dealing with things like that. And, 
you know, building lifelong friendships and, and things that you can do and carry over. You, you never forget those things. And, and we got better whether we wanted to or not because you didn't have a choice because if you're going, you're going to play. Yeah, and I think that mm-hmm. was even like, you know, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more in a minute, but I mean, even if you go and think about like the team that, that you guys were on, uh, in the in that '94 run that you guys had um, for for playing for the state championship, all those guys on that team, you were together pretty much <laughs> throughout the course of of all the Dixie Youth, the Pony League, all that stuff, and that's what made it so special. Now, I think in some ways that's why a lot of the the sports to me have kind of lost a little bit of its luster because you, you got so much of the travel ball and things like that. And yeah, guys are still playing and, and doing things, but that camaraderie, I mean, that familiarity with everybody, that to me was what made that group of guys in that era special. Even like the guys that kind of went before us, like, you know, the Gambrells and, and Will Buford and Jeff Farmer and all those guys. You talked about some of the other ones as well. That it, it was just, you just knew people. And you were comfortable with people, and it was a, you know, maybe it's slightly dysfunctional, but you kind of felt like you were a family because you weren't around strangers. That's right. That's right. We lived in the era of the the unlocked door, and if you're coming over, you better eat, and it's expected. You know, that's just kind of the way we were, and then everybody was close with everybody. Not only were we close, but our parents were close. My mom knew their mom. Their mom knew my mom. If I get in trouble at one house, and I'm going to get disciplined in that house, and I'm going to get it again when I get home. Yep. That's, that just speaks to uh, the closeness of the relationships that we've had. Uh, and, and it's still there in, in some sense, but, you know, the world is starting to move a little bit faster and more technological. And, and I know you've probably heard it before, but I call it the microwave generation. They want it fast. And now and <laughs> it doesn't always work out that way with, with certain things, because baseball, especially, is one of those those sports that doesn't come fast. It takes time. It takes reps. And, and, and it just takes time to develop that. And it, it takes good relationships and good support uh, to make those things happen. And I can honestly say, brother, from the time I started playing baseball, uh, and even through softball that I'm still playing to this day, I've had great teammates and I've had even better leaders. Well, I think it starts with the person involved and in that and that being you, man. You just you were just the kind of guy that were you were you were easy to be a friend with, you were easy to get along with, you very rarely, you know, it take it would take a lot for you to be mad. Yeah. I mean yeah. now now you were super competitive, but I, I would dare say that, you know, I I rarely saw you uh, mad about something. Let's say we're dealing with something with a girl, maybe. I don't know about all that, but you know, that's that's <laughs> that's for another book for another day. But um I think that was the big thing too, is because you you just kind of you were the you were guy and, and it sounds kind of cliche, but you were kind of that utility kind of guy because you can make you could take somebody like me who probably wasn't super athletic, but you could make me feel like I was worthy to be out there on the field with you during those times and even though I didn't kind of stay with baseball over the course I mean I remember when you guys got out on the field in, in, in high school and stuff even though I wasn't out there playing with you I felt like I was still with you because we we went through all those other journeys and trips and going back and forth to Iva and Anderson and playing all-star tournaments and all those things they, they you're still the brotherhood there and so I think that was one of the things that um if I can if I can say for you that made a difference for me was is that you just you made people feel uh, like they were important. You made people feel like um, they you were not you were not bigger than they were. I guess is the best way to say it because you could have easily had that ego and attitude. And there were some guys that did, um, but you never were that way, man. And I think that's one thing I always appreciated about you. And I think that's one one reasons why I think we were good friends because I know there's probably days I got on your nerves asking you something, whether it was about a sport, asking you something about Nancy Bruce in seventh grade while you were in band. <laughs> um, you know, it could have been anything and everything, but man, you still were always, you always treated me with the, with the respect and the love of a brother. So I, I just want to tell you that publicly, how much I appreciate that and how much I still hold on to that now. Um, even, even through all these years, man, even though we haven't been able to talk much, but, uh, you know, talk about playing that baseball deal because the baseball thing really became your niche. And when did you – at what point did you really start feeling that it was it was going to be the thing that was going to sustain you? Because, you, you know, a lot of guys play every sport. Some guys play two sports, but that that was your niche. So when did it kind of – when did the lights kind of go off for you in that situation? 
Uh, I'll tell you, um, I, and I actually thought about this when, when you were doing the, the interview with my cousin, Ellis Belton, and he was talking about when things got real for him uh, by switching over, you know, making football a permanent thing for him and his go-to. Um, when I was in, in uh, farm ball, I played for the Astros, and uh, Coach Gary Ellis yep. uh, pulled me to the side one day. I'm getting ready for All-Stars, and he told me, he's like, Vernon, you're being real nonchalant. Well, I didn't even know what nonchalant meant. <laughs> So I started researching and and I wanted to know what the word nonchalant meant. And so I went and found out what nonchalant was. And and, and for a coach that I have seen from a distance back in T-ball, like, man, that's a good coach. Coach Ellis said that to me. And that made me understand that I'm playing just as good as everybody else. And he sees that I'm being nonchalant. And when I found out what it meant, I said, well, if I kind of turn it up a notch and really focus on what I'm doing, I could be way better than everybody else. And so that's what I did. I started uh, getting involved in camps and, and I went to Clemson's camp a couple of times. And, you know, at that point, that day when he told me I was being nonchalant, that was the day that it activated for me. Yeah. And and he was such a good, you know, we had such a good group of, of men that were around us during that time that were coaching us at the time. You know, a lot of the guys now have kind of recycled themselves as coaches here, you know, within the community. Um, but we were we were really blessed, man. You know, Asa Griffith and he talking about Gary and um, you know, talking about uh, Ken and Matt's dad, uh the Gant, Mr. Gambrell that was so so good, Tadpole, uh Burdett, you know, this, all man. these guys, they were super intentional with us. Um That's right. and they didn't pull no punches. You know, I think a lot of times now, you know, you're scared you're gonna hurt somebody's feelings or you're scared of what somebody's parents gonna say, but you know, back in the day you know, they just they just let you know how it was, and if you know if you weren't if you weren't going to start, there was a reason why you wasn't going to start. It had nothing to do with how they felt about you. It was just you you wasn't going to be able to deliver that day. That's right. That's right. I, I think and, that was one of the things that helped a lot of those guys uh, that we grew up with, um, as you guys kind of ended up coming together on that journey and whatnot. Um, real quick before I continue on that baseball path, because that's where I really want to kind of focus in on a little bit more here in just a minute, but. Um, you did. I did. I did have the opportunity to play with you on the basketball court a little bit, and I knew you so much from baseball. And when we got together in middle school, I didn't realize just how good you were at basketball too. And you had that same kind of mentality on the basketball court because you were one of the guards and you can handle the rock and you can shoot the rock and you can do all those things. But you were kind of fearless and in in that regard. But, man, how, how cool were those memories in the middle school basketball days? Because, man, when you think about having I.J. Goodwin and Miss Marianne Block as your two coaches, the most unlikeliest of duos. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, bringing us together and then, uh, you know, just having that having that time, man. What do, you, what do you remember? What are some memories you remember about right middle school basketball, man? Man, I remember, you know, watching the guys ahead of us play and thinking that, you know, I, I could probably do this and, and go out here and give it a shot and run around because I didn't think anybody was going to be able to outrun me as far as stamina. But the skills that I needed, you know, I, I worked on them a little bit. But I will tell you, man, uh, Ms. Marianne Block is a staple of, of society and a staple of education and a staple of that, that basketball program, her and Coach IG. And IJ, when I got there, and started doing it, I realized that, hey, man, I can play just as good as these guys. I can play just as fast as they can. Okay, I mean, I see everything and make a nice Magic Johnson pass like Boss Hogwood, but I can still <laughs> shoot the ball when it was time to shoot. So I, I learned uh, through a lot of humility, a lot of humbling situations, getting out there with Montario Pettigrew and all those guys that were, you know, Blue Hill ball players that could really handle it. So I started hanging with them. I started playing 21 with them. And, and got better at the little finite skills. And, and you know, IJ and Miss Block, I tell you, they were great, great leaders. But even though he was my mentor on the baseball field, Coach Smith had a jump shot and some ball handling skills <laughs> that, that were unbelievable. Yeah, I told and, I told him all the time about that. I said, I, I give him a hard time out on the podcast because I told him, I said, Coach Smith, I said, it was really unfair how good you were on the basketball court during their student faculty games because nobody could check him. Nobody, nobody wanted to check him, and that's right. And he would get out there and get out there in some of those pickup games that we would have during PE or after school, or, uh, and uh, and yeah, and so uh, it was just it was cool times. And I tell some guys about 
some of the places we went to play at, man. You remember the airport, which was T- Hickory Tavern? Absolutely. And how frustrating that was because the three-point line never made it all the way around the court. Yep, it ran out right <laughs> along the side of the line, man. <laughs> I remember it was, it was crazy, man. It was like, how in the world? And you bounce on that floor, that tile floor, and it just felt like the ball had no sound to it at all. That's right. And, That's exactly uh, right. And yeah, some, some, some great visits, man, we had on that trip. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, and Wright Middle was a, a great place to start basketball because you had everything was right there close together. And you, you come in there and you put that uniform on and you run out of the locker room while the cheerleaders got their arms up and you're running underneath the little bridge. And Man, it was just something, man. Me and Charlie were just talking the other day that we still remember the smell of the locker room, the smell of what it was like to come out uh, of the, the the smell of the gym, especially after they redid the floor and I mean, it was just, it's just those things are just ingrained in our memories. And that's, that's part of what made us who we are today. Well, I mean, it was such a different kind of deal too, because of the sense that there was no football team at the time. So, I mean, basketball, you made the basketball team. I mean, that was the only sport. So that was it. I mean, that was it. You were, a made, right. you were a made person, whether you wanted to be or not. And, uh, and I just remember how cool it was. We used to have the pep rallies and all that. And, uh, and um, the other thing I wanted to kind of touch on, too, on the side part of that, too, is because along that journey as well, man, you kind of got involved with the band program and Mr. Conrad Leo. Tell me a little bit about how how that kind of came to you, because you ended up uh, being with the band all the way through high school, drum major and whatnot. Tell me a little bit about that, that passion that came from that. Absolutely. I, I, I'm not sure how I got signed up for the band class. I think they had like a uh, like a presentation that the high school kids that were in the band did. And it kind of drew me in. Um, I went to one when I was in elementary school at Dixie, and it was cool and and got me a little interested. When I got to right middle, uh, Mr. Leo was, you know, basically recruiting people to come into the program. And I told mom I wanted to go ahead and do it and and walked in the room. And there was probably, I don't know, five or six people there. And uh, a few people at the high school wasn't a whole lot of people, but it was just something about Mr. Leo and his leadership skills and the way he taught made me want to learn more it made me want to to be a band member it made me want to be really good at it and so i started uh with with the xylophone i think i i heard the word xylophone and i saw one somewhere and i said you know what i like lionel hampton let me try and learn how to play the xylophone yeah and so yeah and so i did it and and kind of eventually got into it got into it more and that's when we brought back the marching band program and, and I was just sold at that point because it was a physical activity. It made you learn. It made you get involved and, and, and learn things that you're not used to doing. And so I just kind of got sucked in, man. And it was something to add on to the baseball, the basketball. Now I have something else that I can do and be involved. And and we traveled. I'm like, man, what else do you want? I'm yeah. doing something that's fun. I'm learning and I get to travel. Yeah. Well, and again, man, and you were such a bright student too, B. I mean, you were one of the smartest dudes in my class. And, uh, and, and again, I think we talked about all these little different areas of your life where you kind of had these things uh, begin and start uh, in all of them, whether it was in the classroom, whether it was in the band room, whether it was on, on a field or on a court, the mentality was never different. It was always the same. It was always the same focus and determination. And you took it very serious. And I, I always remember that. You took great pride in that. Absolutely. I think that's what led to a lot of the success that you were able to have because the pride, the passion, and everything that went on that. All right, so we get out of the middle school days, and we're going over to the high school. Now, did you play – didn't you play one year? Uh, did you play basketball all four years? I couldn't remember. Uh, I played uh, a little. I played my first year, a little bit of JV, and then band kind of took over, and I didn't have time. And then I wanted to get back out there and play one more time, so I played again my senior year. I got you. Because that was um, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but um, um, you know, that was the thing. It was like you know, once you had all these other options and stuff, I always wondered: Did you ever have any? temptation to try football did that ever come across your mind at all absolutely did and so <laughs> i had uh i played one year when i was 10 i played uh for the 49ers out there with, with coach gary ellis again and uh and uh, will buford was our quarterback and uh Corey bell was a big no big guard out there and hollis coleman and those guys and brother they beat me up <laughs> and i was like uh, I can do this and uh, make make it happen. And I was like, well, I don't know. Because he had me at right guard. And I said, uh, I don't know about this. And, 
Cause you know, like he shoved my face in the dirt and the mud and, and, you know, picking me right back up. But then it shoved me down again. And, and I said, I don't like all this guard stuff. So coach, I was down at Count Falls one weekend and playing down there and coach said, okay, I'd been taking a few snaps behind Will. And I think Will got the win, knocked out of him, but knocked down one time and he put me on the center. I didn't know no place. He said, just run a bootleg. So I took the snap. I was supposed to hand it to Ken coming across behind me. I missed the handoff. And so I grabbed it, turned around, and ran around the right side. I noticed there was nobody there. So I took it to the house. Not, not so much because of skill, but because I was scared. I didn't want nobody to hit me like that. So yeah. I took off and ran. And well, that was about as far as it went, man. I, I made the all-star team. And I said, you know what, I, Mama, I, I'm done. She said, well, you finished the season. And, and that's it. If you don't want to do it no more, you don't do it no more. And I let it go. And then I still played a lot of pickup football with, with the neighbors and Antonio and all those guys and got to high school. And I was sitting out there at the baseball practice and walked over. And uh, Coach Nichols was out there uh, when he had first got to Abbeville. And he he said, uh, Money, you want to try football? And I had told him and Coach Botts in history class that day that I was going to come. And they had my pads and everything together. And Mr. Leo got wind of that. Uh. And that was the end of that. <laughs> well man, I I just think I thought about that before, man. I was like, I was like, man, I think I mean you would have been such an asset on the team, whatever position you would have played it. I, I mean, I could have seen you playing both ways anyway. I mean, you could have been a really good receiver, you could have been a back, you could have been a DB. I mean, I mean, you were quick enough, you could have come off the edge. I mean, I don't think there was not a position that you couldn't have yeah. something to. So I just always thought that was interesting that uh, that the football part of your journey never never got got to happen, but what if? Yeah. yeah, I look back all the time, Lee, and think about it. I wish I had tried it. Me and Charlie talk about it a lot because to this day, if you throw anything anywhere near me, I'm gonna catch it. Uh, yeah. It's not gonna get past me. If I touch it, I'm gonna catch it. So that's. Uh, I wish I had seen what it was was like, but you know, I believe everything happens for a reason, and uh, it didn't go that way. But that's all right. Well, I want to talk to you about your, your time at Abbeville with the baseball team because it was kind of a really cool cool time frame in that in that sense that we there was a lot of good guys that had come through the system there um, already. And we talked about the group of guys that we had kind of been playing with, guys that were ahead of us, um, even some of the guys that came behind us. And you – uh, on that team and, and some of the guys that were on that team, a lot of our classmates and whatnot, kind of, you know, I want to talk to you about that 94 season, but talk to me a little bit about those other seasons leading on to that. What did you learn about yourself? What did you learn about some of the other guys to where when you got to that point in 94, it felt like uh, this was a good, this was, this was possibly a really good deal that we got here. Absolutely. And, and to, to be honest, man, I had so many guys to look up to uh, coming into JV baseball and coming into Abbeville High School baseball uh, as a young man coming from, you know, league ball, rec ball. It's, it's night and day, you yeah. know, going switching over to that high school speed. But we had people to look up to. I mean, we had Hershberger, we had Kerry Murphy, we had uh, Russell Kaya, Jamie Wright. I mean, John Hill. I mean, we had people that were there that had laid the groundwork for us before we even took the ball. You know, Brian Ferguson, you know, Lenny. I mean, it's just so many people that was out there. Coach Smith didn't have to teach us much about how the program worked because those guys were the ones, Johnny Watt, bringing us in and saying, hey, man, this is how it works. You can do this. Watch me work. And so coming in, there was no fear because I could see them. And then afterwards, I could go and talk to them and they would help guide us along and show you what the ropes were and and all that kind of stuff. And then kind of empower you to what to get into the program. And then you can work on your skills with Coach Smith. So, man, it was it was just like walking into a, a, a stadium with the lights on at night when I got there and watched those guys play. Man, it was just something. Brandon Thompson. I mean, it, it was ridiculous, man, just the feeling and the honor that it was to not only play alongside those guys, but to see them and say, you know what? I'm playing where Kerry Murphy played, you know? I'm, I'm playing on the same field where Jamie Wright was out here striking out the side every time he went to the plate, where they went to the plate. So I, I had that that love for it, for Abbeville baseball, before I even got there and took the field for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and the thing about it was, it's like as as – as some people, even today, I saw some of these younger kids. I said, "You should have, you should have seen the games in the, in the football field." They're like, "They play games in the football field." 
I'm like, y'all just don't know. They did. I, I mean, there was something, and we talked to Coach Smith about this too. It's just something about that field down in that nestled in that little valley. I called it the little valley of wilderness down there, uh, right behind the visitor stands. You push the visitor stands back to the side um, field. The temporary fence come up. All that you have the stands and the backdrop, and it just there was something about it down there, man. Because um, when it got cold down there, it was cold. Yes, sir. And then, but when the when the bugs and the skeeters came out, they let you know they were there too. So it was like, you know, it was it was a unique it was a unique atmosphere. But it was an atmosphere that I think led to so many good memories. It was just it was unique in itself. It wasn't a common ballpark, you know. It was. No, sir. It wasn't a common place that we went and played at. And and you guys um, being down in there, as you said, I mean, it wasn't no thing. You could just sit there. Even if you didn't walk all the way down to the field, you can go sit over there in the homestands at Hyde Stadium and just watch from the deep, deep, cheap seats. And uh, you might find a, you might find a home run, home run ball hit your way every once in a while, too. Because <laughs> right. we had some guys that came along before us, and even with you guys that can put it out there. Um Talk to me a little bit about the guys that eventually became that nucleus group or on that team. What are some of the things that you remember about those guys and and the kind of teammates that they were for you? Man, I, I can't even say enough about about those guys. Man, it's like everywhere we went, there we were, all of us, you know, and it, everybody was always together. And uh, we we even did things on the weekends. I mean, everything we did, we did it together, and we prayed together, we played together. Uh, Coach Smith would say prayers, man. He would say prayers that would make you cry because of how sincere he was about what he was saying. And that same sincerity carried over with the way we carried ourselves uh, on the field and off the field because it wasn't so much about what we did on the field, but we didn't want to disappoint Coach Smith. Yeah. And we didn't want to disappoint each other because at the end of the day, when we go to school on Monday, we still got to look at each other. And we got to still ride that bus together. And, and we did everything. I mean, from from Eddie Ford being the manager at that time to Tony Terry to Tuck, Will, Casey. I mean, it was just it was it was a brotherhood, man. And it still is. When I go home, you know, I can't I can't go down on the square without running into one of them. And we, we talking about the game and where shows are we talking about the game when Coach Smith got tossed out and we decided that we were going to come back and win the game anyway. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Little things like that, man. And it was never a second thought. You know, some teams you play on and you you hope that you win a game or you hope that you have a chance to win a game. Every time I suited up with that squad of guys right there on that 94 team, I thought we was going to win every game we played, period. Yeah. Well, and you talked about that, too, as far as the the camaraderie and stuff that you guys had because there was a group of you guys that had been together kind of up through through middle school. And then when we came together – at the high school, there was a, there was a few more pieces that came into that puzzle, you know. More specifically, I think about like guys like Tony Temple and Tony Terry, and right? How they kind of rounded out, you know. You know, there was you and and, and Overholt and Dan, uh, Mikey, um, Jeff Crocker, um, you know, Venture. We talked about. I mean, there was a good core group of you guys, but then it was almost like the pieces kind of were just slowly but surely coming together. And then you talked about the guys right in front of you. And then the guy, the young guys that were coming up, Casey Stone, man. I mean, everybody knew that he was going to be a star, uh, even in his younger days. So you had all that mixed together. Brad Ayers, um, I mean, it just, it was, it was the perfect combination. Um, when you got to that season, I know in '93, you guys were really good as well. Um, there was kind of a sense that that could have been, that that could have been a year where where things could have happened. What do you remember? from that year and what happened in 93 to get you to guys getting ready for 94? Yeah, I think that um, in 93, we had started to venture out a little bit further as far as the types of teams and who we were playing. We started playing teams like Clinton uh, and, and, and BHP and teams that we didn't always play. And so that made us a little bit better. And we started to, to beat those guys. You know, we, we beat Clinton pretty bad. And, you know, you go down there and you play Lawrence in a preseason tournament and you beat them down too. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. We, we can play with these guys. And so we carried that mentality over uh, into that 93 season and, and started actually believing that we could do it. And uh, and we started doing it. And then we started to see things that we hadn't seen before. You know, teams that play small ball, you know, teams that pitchers didn't throw all fastball. They might throw nothing but off-speed pitches. So we had to adjust. And I think that part of the adjustment happened toward the end of the year 
when we got down to Bishopville and, you know, they had the little tiny baseballs and the wood bat practices beforehand or, or doing like Bamberg with, with the no ball infield. And so we hadn't seen that kind of stuff. And so it kind of took us by surprise and we were a little bit slower to adjust to it. And so that, that ended up getting us pushed out of the playoffs a little bit early, but we saw just enough. Yeah, we saw just enough that when that '94 season came around, we was gonna give them everything we had every time out there. Don't matter what you throw at us, we gonna give you hell. Yeah, I remember very clearly start even the start of school. I remember, you know, that was one of the few times I remember um, during my time at school that senior year, going into uh, the end of '93, into '94. But even before school really got started, you guys were really talking up baseball like i remember sitting in the classroom and hearing uh opie and boss talking with tony and uh hear tony terry talking about golly mikey Norrisman. man he's like a kid in the candy store man he, i ain't never seen nobody who wanted to go and do like box jumps and get in the weight room and do all these things i mean he he, he couldn't talk about it enough and i mean we were like four or five, we're like four months out, and I'm thinking, man, these guys are going to explode if they don't get out there on the field. I mean, you just felt it. it you felt the energy. You felt uh, you felt what was going to be uh, that that swag. They call it swag nowadays, but that was the swag back then. You guys, like you said, you just had so much confidence because you had, you had gotten to this point, and now – you know, all the seniors that were on that team. I mean, this was this was a big time opportunity. So talk to me about what are some of the things you remember about that that season, getting ready for that, coming together, and then like you know, early on in the regular season there, because you know, there were some really good rivalries that you guys had uh during those years in some of the yeah. we were in. Yes, sir. We did have a lot of good rivalries and, and competition in that time. Uh in the Pendletons and Baseburg Leesville and Chapin and, and those those schools that were typically known Crescent that were known to be baseball powerhouses. We were on a mission, man. We were finna beat all of them just to let them know, uh, especially at home. You know, you come in the high stadium, you better come ready to play because you fight to get to business. You come in here. It don't matter what you bring. Uh, you're going to take an L, you coming in here. And so um, actually at the beginning of that season, 94, I was a little bit behind because a lot of the guys took uh, – BP a lot uh, together as a group and uh, on Sundays and, you know, being, being the person that I am in my household, you know, Sunday was church and, and family time. So it wasn't none of that. It wasn't no BP on Sunday for me, yeah. you know, but it was, it was, it was time to go, go worship and, and spend some time with the family. So I was a little bit behind coming into that season. And I always tell the story of young people I talk to about, you know, they say, Oh, you're a great ball player. I said, well, my, my best year uh, was both my junior year and my senior year, but my, my senior year, the first time I got in the box to take BP, I think I missed like 21 pitches straight in a row. Didn't touch it. Couldn't couldn't get the bat on it for nothing in the world. I didn't know what to do. And so I got out of the box, and, and Coach Smith just, you know, gave me the little settle down, get back in the box, relax, do what you do. And got back in the box and hit one into the stands. <laughs> and it's like it's just a matter of me being behind and me having to get that confidence going to get caught up. And all of my teammates, they were like, come on, money, you got it. Don't even worry about it. Just keep going. And that's the same mentality that we all carried throughout that year. So it didn't matter if one of us was down, you know, at the plate, we're going to pick them up. Yeah. We're going to keep going. Trust the man behind you. And, and that's when we started implementing things like the Sanford and Son, the, the music and the clapping and and those types of things you typically see on a girls' fast-pitch softball team. Hey, that's how we carried on. We, we making noise the whole game, right. both on the field and off the field. We making noise. Yeah. It was it was such a good deal, man. I mean, just being up there in the class, and I remember we were sitting in the, what was one class we were in. Um, I think it was Miss Tyner's class because we had sociology and psychology back to back semesters, and you got a real cool, cool vision shot because she had the last cl- uh, classroom on on the on the senior wing, and you could see a really clear shot down the field, and these guys just sitting there looking down there. The game day of a game is like. Oh man, just like that bell couldn't ring enough, you know. Like, <laughs> you, can't get down that fast enough. Couldn't get down there fast enough, and I mean, talking about two or three hours before the game even starts. Now, you know, guys might, you know, they 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 get there when they can get there, and you know, they may get there on fire, they may not. But back then, man, it was just there was no other distractions. I mean, there was no. there was nothing else about it. It was just something unique about the particular group of guys, and, and, and what a great great season you guys had um what were some of the uh, what were some of the highlights of that regular season for you some of the games that maybe you remember standing out that that you were part of 
Um, the Chapin game. Uh, the Chapin game always stands out to me uh, because we got there and uh, got ready to play. And I think I was supposed to pitch that day. I don't remember, but I remember having to tell Coach that I had left my cleats. And uh, I left my cleats at home, and uh, Coach was fire hot. And uh, he was going to go ask the Chapin coach that if, if he had uh, a pair of shoes that I could wear uh, during the game. And, and, and then had about a few steps away from me, looked back and asked me, hey, money, what size shoe you wear? I said 15, coach. Coach turned around and came back. He, he, he didn't even go ask him. Uh, not not at that side. So <laughs> so that was a big time memory for me. And I ended up uh, hitting hitting a home runner to that game to kind of get us back into where we needed to, even though I didn't have my cleats on. So I, I remember that. And um, and I also remember that the game in, in Abbeville uh, when, when Lance mentioned before, when, when uh, old Red Dog rested so uh, tossed old coach out. And, uh, you know, it was getting close to the end of the game. We behind and uh, coach is out of the game now. And so now what do you do? You know, and so we we pulled together and we banded together and we walked them down and ended up winning that game. (laughs) (laughs) Man, you know, another guy I forgot to mention, too, is Chris Bensel. Uh, Earl, man. What what a great catcher he was. Great athlete. Doing a great job now, man. His his daughter's a great. All-state softball player, just just a chip off the old block, but uh, absolutely, you know, talked about guys like him and and you know and and stuff that happened. But I, I remember I had I had pulled out the old annuals, and I remember there were a couple of quotes in there uh, for the annual, and I remember Tony said something about uh, he kind of put it politically correct. He said Coach Smith really got involved with the umpires. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Coach Coach had a pride about him uh, and, and what he does because whatever he was doing, nine times out of ten, he was in the right. And uh, and, and it, it gets to a frustrating point, and he'll let you know it after a while. That joker turns red, and uh, he starts pacing a little bit, and, and you can see it. And uh, once he goes from zero to 100, there ain't nothing you can do because I guarantee he's thought this thing through before he, he let it go. And so uh, we we had his back. He had our back, and we 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 wanted to win that game big time. And so we did. We came back and won it. And uh, not to switch gears too fast, but but talking about about Chris Benson, man, little Earl, that dude, he probably had heart uh, as, as much heart as anybody I've ever seen in my life. And, and I mean, he, you know, smaller guy, but you would think he was six six two twenty with the way he played. Yeah. And he gave you everything off uh, everything he had, you know, on the field and. Uh, to this day, I don't think I've ever seen another dude play with a fish hook on his hat, but but Earl had his fish hook on his hat, and and he did that, and he played, you know, like a tough kid, and and gave it all he had, and just just a scrappy dude, man. And the thing about me in my career, bro, I, I take some of everybody with me when I go, and I hold on to those things like the the heart and drive from Chris Bensel, the determination and and speed of mind of Casey Stone, the pure strength of a Theo McCullough or a Mikey Norris, you know, the dedication of a boss hall, you know, the straight speed, power, and understanding of a Tony Terry, you know, the concentration and the ability to control myself like an Anthony Overholt. Man, I could tell you something about every play I ever played with at Abbeville High School, and I can tell you what I took from them that I still carry with me today. Man, that just gives me goosebumps, man. I mean, because, you know, you think about it, how many guys – can tell you something about everybody and and you look at this roster i went and grabbed that annual real quick just to look at the roster man it was like you know dan Aldridge, chris bensel casey stone johnny ray monroe anthony overholt brad Ayers, david myers jeff crocker tony temple tony cherry venture belt tommy elliott who i we grew up playing with todd bradley mikey norris man just god dang man that was just that was a unit that was a squad and um I mean, it really was a it really was a big deal because um, at that time it was the first the first big opportunity uh, for Coach Smith in that state. He had already had all the respect um, from all the other coaches in the state and been building toward it. But the first opportunity to go and play for a state. Talk to me a little bit about winning Upper State in that game in in that atmosphere and what was that feeling like coming back to school with that. Absolutely. And so right around that time, I'm not sure if it was baseball we played for Upper State. That may have been a region championship. But um, I've I got to say, man, even not even the Upper State championship game was the biggest one. If it wasn't the baseball game, if that baseball game was the one that made my playoffs for me um, because we went to Batesburg and beat them twice on their field. 
Yeah. And for me, that was that was the biggest game of the season for me. I've almost probably I'm willing to venture to say that that's probably the most important game that I've ever played in my high school career. Uh, going into somebody else's field like that uh, with a powerful left-handed pitcher coming in uh, in the very first game to try and slam the door on us right out the gate because we had to beat them twice. They were they were the top seed in the double elimination bracket, and we had to beat them twice, and we did it. I mean, we that that big time. I don't even know the young man's name uh, from from Baseburg. Was a heck of a pitcher, powerful lefty, a lot of off-speed pitches, but he leaned on that fastball, and that was his biggest mistake because we ate fastballs for lunch. Yeah. We absolutely did, and, and that that hitting that in that game was more important to me than than anything else because they didn't think they were going to beat us. They thought they were just going to walk all over us, and we came in there and we, and we gave it to them. And I think that Joker lasted maybe three innings, and he had to get out of there because he was wearing him out. Well, you talked about too, um, just just having the atmosphere. We talked about the atmosphere of Hyde Stadium. What do you remember about that that second game? Because we go down and lose the first game in that best three series come home i think it was a wednesday maybe or so um and playing that that home state championship game what, what was what do you remember about about that particular game that day yeah so i, I remember coming in and uh we had lost lost to baseburg already and, and they came to abbeville and, and we had already discussed the fact that we weren't finna lose at home and, and there was there we weren't finna have that and uh it was actually a comfort for us because clint collins the the powerhouse pitcher he had already pitched so I say if if whatever they got is not as good as him or better, they in trouble. Yeah, they absolutely in trouble. And, and we had already gave him a taste down in Bamberg when Tony Terry hit that thing, probably about four hundred and twenty feet <laughs> over the fence and onto somebody's front porch over there behind the field, and that was just a little taste. And then then they came to Abbeville, and we were happy because I mean we had a crowd there, man. I can hear Mr. Ayers now and Tony Temple's mom. I can hear them still to this day yelling and getting the crowd hype. I got my cousins and family all around the place hyped up. And, you know, I got people like Leomar Evans and stuff. They at the game. Yeah. You know, Neil Dawson, Walter Jackson, these people that's, that's, they at the game. Irvin Bryson, you know, I was like, oh man, we got to do our thing. And so we kept playing and kept playing and, and the defense held and, they brought the young guy in that had really good all-speed pitches, and we managed to to stay in the fight. And once we got a lead, that was a wrap because it, our defense was never a question. Yeah. And then um, had to go and uh, play the third game, uh, Charge Fry Field down in Carolina, the original baseball field down there. And, uh, just came up a little bit short, but it was kind of interesting because didn't you have – you had a uh, you had a little bit of a setback injury-wise, did you not? Because um, you weren't able to – Something about what you you weren't able to pitch or whatnot. I can't remember all the specifics. Tell me about that. Yeah, I think it was pitch count. I think I was it was to the point where I couldn't come back in anymore, okay. um, in the pitch, and so I had to end up playing. You know, going back to shortstop. Uh, and I want to say Tony came in to pitch a little bit, and you know the funny thing, it wasn't even our our pitch in the office that, that I mean our pitching or defense that 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 hurt us a little bit. We missed a couple of key calls and a couple of key plays. We missed a squeeze play. Uh, that would have brought us back into the game a little bit and, and little things like that. But, yeah, it was uh, – I won't say it was culture shock coming in or stage fright or anything, but that was a big stadium for a high school kid to walk into for the first time. It was, man. And it was elect- it was electric atmosphere, and it was it was just a great run. I mean, and, and I still say, man, that was – I put that team up against uh, any of the teams that, that came afterwards. Um you know, as far as uh, just what they were able to do, and and and, it, and if anything else, I mean, not saying that other teams were were less talented. There was clearly a lot of great talented teams that would come along the way. A couple of those guys would come back and and, and play for a, a state in '97 too. But um, you know, for me, it was just it was just about um, the the friendship, the brotherhood, those kind of things that really just went beyond the baseball field. Absolutely. You can't replace that. There's kind of two there's two lives that you live. There's the lives inside the baselines and the life outside. And if you walk away with all the memories that come outside as well as the ones inside, man, that's a full that's a full journey and a full ride. And and it always gives me great pride as uh just being a member of that senior class and, and being able to watch you guys what you guys did on the field. Um as a friend, as a fan, as a student. I mean, it was it was awesome, and so uh, love love hearing about that. I want to talk to you about a couple other things here while I still have some time with you, um, because you went on to go play 
baseball at Wofford. And yes. talk to me a little bit about the college experience because, you know, you talked about going from from one level to high school and, and having to adapt. And then you, you go to a whole nother kind of uh, adapting when you go into college level. So talk to me a little bit about your time at Wofford. Yeah, absolutely, man. And going into the transition to college, you know, you think you know everything. You think you got it all figured out because you're successful in high school and, you know, you're, you know, all state ball player, whatever, going to college. And, and I said, OK, I can, I can do this. I've always been successful and I got there and, and reality hit me. You know, everybody here is an all state player. Everybody here is an all star in every aspect of the game. You're just another guy. So now what are you going to do? And I got out there and, and, and got exposed to it. And lo and behold, I was blessed to have Coach Line, who was a, a carbon copy of Coach Smith when it comes to, you know, his belief in God, his his belief in technique, his belief in fundamentals, and his belief in playing small ball to get the victory when you don't think you can. And so it was a rude awakening for me because I had never been one to get into the weight room or, or do anything like that. I just kind of was flying by the seat of my pants on natural skill without putting any real work into it. It just happened to be good. And I got to college and that didn't fly. You know, you got to be up. You know, you got practice. Practice starts at seven o'clock. So guess what? You got to get your workout in at five. Yeah. You know, so I'm in a weight room now putting on weight and putting on muscle and didn't realize that, hey, just because you're getting stronger is good. But you still got to work on your baseball skills because you get big and bulky and tight. You're not going to be able to play. And uh, so coach started making me run and, and, and do things like that. And taking batting practice now with wooden bats and i see pitchers that are throwing you know the the average pitcher is throwing 85 plus yeah in in college and you know and you play a bigger school you you 90 plus everybody i wasn't used to that you know i was used to a little bit less uh aggressiveness from a pitcher um the college strike zone of course more more toward the mlb zone so it's a little bit lower than than a high school strike zone and so i wasn't used to that i was taking a lot of strikes that i shouldn't take and so I had to kind of reinvent myself as a ball player and realize that, hey, brother, you at the bottom of the totem pole. You got to work yourself back into this thing. And so I did and put in the work and, you know, first one to practice, last one to leave and come back out there and, and get your grind on. And, you know, it took me about three games to kind of get myself used to it. And I'll tell you a funny story real quick uh, to show you how aloof I was and how how I just wanted to play the game. I didn't really care about the details. So my very first uh, game at Wofford when I was actually starting, I started at third base, and I played a game. We get to the seventh inning, and all right, we're up three. So seventh inning, home team, boom, we got the out. I think the game's over. I'm walking toward the visitor's dugout to shake the, the, the visiting players' hands. Coach Lyons yelling at me, and my good friend Trip Fogel, they're yelling at me. Hey, man, come on, man, get ready. You got to hit. I'm like, what are y'all talking about, man? The game's over. That's how I looped I was, bro, at the time. I didn't even know that college games went nine innings. <laughs> it's like it's like, <laughs> like the journey that never ends, man. That's right. Um, and I, I had no idea. I wasn't mentally prepared for that because nobody mentioned it because everybody knew. Well, obviously, except for me. <laughs> you know, I went out there and you, you I'm ready to go. Take it to the house. After, after yeah. The got, that, got that third out in the seventh inning, bottom of the seventh. I'm getting ready to go uh, top of the seventh. I'm getting ready to go shake hands and stuff. Well, that's two things that they didn't do. Oh, and I didn't realize that. You know, you don't go and shake hands. And I was like, that that's not what – no, that's high school, bro. I'm, okay. All right. Well, let's do it. <laughs> and it had to be really cool, too, to be the team MVP in 96, too, right? I mean, just to have it kind of come together for you. Absolutely. I had got, I had figured it out at that point and I had figured out the strike zone. I had figured out how to adjust to pitchers before they adjust to me and had gotten the repetition in. And so the, the star, the stars in the eyes had gone away by that time. And uh, so it, it gave me a push to, to do better knowing that, Hey, you know what? You're starting and you're a freshman, get it together. And so I did. And I got a kick in the pants when I first got there to start the season, my second year, cause uh, I had the job of welcoming in the rookies and uh, lo and behold, the infielders. And so I pulled all the infielders together and got everybody's name and stuff. And, and wouldn't you know that the second baseman from Bamberg Earhart that just beat Mattel for the state <laughs> championship is now at Wofford with me. <laughs> ah, man, you have to listen to it now. Yeah, and I got to see the ring. You know, I saw the ring and everything. Oh, and, man. Uh, turned out to be a great guy, great ball player, great teammate. Um, and, and it was just an overall uh, great experience. Well, I'll tell you what, man, it's it's just an unbelievable journey. And uh, it was a journey that, that kept going on, too, because um, you would go on serving the military. Uh, was it 21 years? 
21 years. Yes, sir. 21 years, retired, active duty now. You were what, uh, first sergeant? I was in a first sergeant position. I was actually an E-7 sergeant first class, and I got selected for E-8, which would have put me in a true first sergeant billet. But at that point in time, I, my wife and I had made the decision that, that that was the end of the road, so I was getting off the train right there. Yeah, and then it led you – I mean, you talked about softball real quick. I wanted to kind of touch on that too because, dude, you're a member of the Southern Softball Association Hall of Fame. I mean, yes, sir. People don't realize how big of a deal that is <laughs> because, <laughs> because, you know, you, you always kind of – first thing you think about softball is being a predominant sport, but fast pitch softball or even slow pitch softball, there, there's different levels of softball on the men's side too um, that are nationally worldwide known. And so, I mean, to be, a, be able to find that pathway to softball in the Army, obviously that give you – and outreach that's something that you were real familiar with while focusing on a lot of really intentional serious things with the army responsibilities but i would imagine that release of playing softball was a big thing for you absolutely and finding that down at fort stewart in 1998 uh just like going to college you thinking that you're, you're you're an athlete you're good you can do all of this well the transition to slow pitch softball the game is a little bit slower but the thinking part is a lot faster you have to be on your toes and so i, I got involved in it and started traveling and playing on travel teams and eventually in, in 97 uh in 2007 i apologize got lucky enough to get selected to go represent the army and try out for the army team uh to play against the other branches and and different things like that and going to play against conference teams and teams that i'm i'm swinging the bat and the guy whose name is on the bat is playing third base i'm like uh-oh uh this is real <laughs> And so uh, that I was baptized by fire into that. And, you know, playing the shortstop and third base and in, in, in that in high school, you know, a high school infield, college infield, MLB infield is a lot bigger uh, in, in the aspect of ball to distance ratio to where you are. And these guys can straight mash. And it's like, wait a minute. Now I see why they call it the hot corner. Yeah. And, and yeah. And so it was good, man. I got to meet a lot of people. I got to see things in places I didn't think I would. And, and knowing that and seeing that softball was such a big thing all over the place. I just like baseball, I started working on it, started understanding the finite skills and, and the techniques to, to play the game and to hit the ball and be able to control things. And so I made the army team and I played for them a couple of times. And then I got lucky enough to coach the team uh, just before retiring. Oh man, and and won a couple of championships along the way. So there was a little bit of redemption there. Absolutely, absolutely. Got a few world championships. Got the Army uh, championship. Uh, five five time uh, champion, Armed Forces champion, and uh, a couple of world tournaments under my belt uh, in a, in a couple of different sanctions. And just getting to, to do it, and then my business stuff worked right into that. And so I had already established a connection. So there's my base laid for everything that I wanted to do after softball. Well, dude, I saw a picture of you. Uh, with the softball jersey and holding the bat, and he looked no different than when I saw you over there on the Dixie U field next to the high school. You had the same demeanor, same same facial look. Everything was was the same. You just didn't have a ball cap on at the time on that picture. <laughs> um, but man, just it, it was you. It, it was a constant. I even remember coming over and seeing you some at the alumni games. Uh, with the baseball team, man, you just get out there, and I'm like, you know, all right, y'all better, y'all better pay attention because money's gonna be doing some things out here. <laughs> um, and, and you talked about that nickname, money. Do you remember? You remember the first time you got called money? You remember where the origin started for that? Yeah, yeah. So that that's attributed to uh, Tony Terry. Uh, he was out <laughs> there uh, one time, and and two things. There's two reasons behind it. Uh, one came after the other one, but the first one was uh, Tony said that everything I did on the field was like money in the bank. And, and so the name stuck um, with me uh, still to this day, and, and and it held on. And I was surprised that it held on like that, yeah. but it did, man. And and, and because of that, uh, even when I went to college, for some odd reason, I would always play on the field with my wallet in my pocket. Yeah. And so that kind of added to the nickname that I had. And, and so that carried over now at Wofford, it carried over into that too, uh, because I had both my wallet in my pocket and everything I did was like money in the bank. And so it stuck. Man, you didn't have these 23 bags like these cats got now, man. You had to keep everything close to you at the time, back in the day, man. That's right, man. And I never understood the concept of it until later on, like bat bags and 35 bats and all of this kind of stuff. I kept my stuff with me. I walked to the field with my cleats in one hand, my glove in the other hand, and, and my bat with the glove slid down it and throw the bat on your shoulder and roll out. Yeah. And you talk about Tony, man. What a great, what a great friend, great classmate he was. And uh, 
might have been one of the best all around athletes, man, that I had a chance to be around. Uh, Absolutely. I remember we had I had a birthday little get together one time, and a bunch of y'all came over, and I had my little low rinky dink uh, pad out there, but. He was like a giant among men out there, man. I remember he going out there and he would go full force just like he was on a full court. So, uh, man, he's just one of the many guys that we've been blessed to know growing up with and stuff like that. Uh, and just the final few minutes here with you, man, before I let you go. And, again, I appreciate you taking some time because I know you're staying busy. But uh, um, it would be remorse, man, if I didn't talk to you a little bit about, you know, of all the things that me and you have kind of shared during our lifetime, not only going to school together, playing sports together uh, and all that, but – uh sharing in the loss of our moms this year man your your mom um sadly passed away miss juanita uh back in april and my my mom passed in may man um still surreal for me and i still have definitely my good days and bad days how how has that been for you and, and charlie uh during this time and you know I, I can't remember the very last time i saw your mom man but man what an unbelievably awesome woman absolutely i remember she loved every kid she was over at the middle school and helping in the office and being a sub and every time i saw her she had to smile and Haley and give you a hug and i mean just god dang man but just just an amazing woman so so what's that been like for you guys here in this in these last few months you know, it's, it's been tough. Uh, there, there's good days and bad days. Um, but the good thing about the way me and my brother was raised, we we were raised knowing that death is a reality and it's coming. And, and the fact that you got to be prepared in the way that you prepare yourself, however that is. And and, and my mom did that. And, and she raised us to the point we knew that, that, that she was at peace with God. She was at peace with herself and everything that she had done throughout her life. And, and at this point, uh, of her passing, it, it was time. She was tired and you know, had been dealing with a lot of things uh, back and forth. And, and there's, there's, you know, like I said, tough times and, and things like that. But overall, man, we were prepared. So it wasn't a shock, wasn't a surprise, none of that kind of stuff. And we knew that she had done everything plus to prepare us, uh, her and my dad both, man. I, I You know, I'm I'm partial to them, but I, I don't I don't see there being many as good as my parents as far as the way they, that, that she did things and they did things for us growing up, man. They just don't make them like that no more. And, you know, I look back now and I appreciate the time that we had because you only get one mom and only get one dad. And the fact that we had both of them there the entire time of our lives made us more rounded, more solid individuals as people and and, and sons and as fathers now made us better. And so my mom is, is, I'm telling you, man, she she was the everything to everything when it came to Abbeville and when it came to us. I mean, it's not many people in, in Abbeville County that don't know them. Or, or the effects of what they did. And, and, you know, I could hope to only be half as good as they are, um, were when they were with us, and it'll make me twice as better for what I'm doing for my kids. Man, I tell you, I, 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 I say amen to everything you said, everything that I, I try to do for my family and my kids. And uh, it is very surreal not not to have your, your mom and dad <laughs> uh, here. You know, my dad's been gone a little bit longer, but, you know, just been different and it's been tough. Um, but again, thankful that I had the time to prepare. So many people don't get that chance. So many people don't have that understanding and, and, and faith-based understanding is, is a key part of that too. being grounded in Christ and, and just having that assurance of what's to come and life doesn't end here, you know? And uh, I think that's the biggest thing. I'll tell you one quick funny story about your mom. And I remember when we was at middle school, I remember it was one day in particular, and I think I had forgotten to do a homework assignment. I can't remember which year it was, but this was when she was up there working in the office. And I, I forgot to do an assignment in one of those afternoon classes, and I was scared to death that I was going to get a flunking grade and get in trouble. So I said, I'm going to go I'm gonna go up to the office and tell them I ain't good. I'm going to call home. And so I remember walking up there, and Miss Juanita was up there. She was the only one in there at the time. And she said, what's wrong with you, Lee? I said, uh, man, Miss Juanita, I just I just don't feel good. I feel like I need to go home. She said, look, come here. And so she called me over there. She felt my head. She said, well, you ain't warm. She said, have you been coughing? I said, no, ma'am. She said, are you sneezing? No, ma'am. Well, ain't nothing wrong with you. <laughs> she said, you better get your tail back to your class. Your mama's not going to come and pick you up. <laughs> yeah. I remember that, man. I was like. Dang, right. Juanita, man. She just she called it like it was. But Absolutely. it was. She was she was like a second mama, man. She was just like she she would she wouldn't take none of that, you know. She knew she knew my mama well enough. She knew that that phone call was was going to be like a boomerang. It was going to be redirected. There was no it wasn't going to be going home that day. So I had to live with the facts and got through it. And, right. um, but I just that's one of the many stories I remember about her, man. Such a great 
great lady and uh, you guys just got done uh, selling the house and I, I'm so we're closing on ours next week. So I, I know that's bittersweet too, um, yeah. but it's just kind of um, bringing everything kind of to a close. But again, just thankful for the memories that your mom had in my life, man. I tell you that on public, man, just, just an unbelievable woman. And uh, I, I know you guys have plenty to think about and plenty of good conversations to have about her. I know I talk, I know I talk about my mom most every day in some form of fashion. So, um, Hey man, we're about out of time, brother. I can't tell you how glad I am. We got together and did this. I'm so glad I reached out to you. I'm thankful that this is the first one of the new year to kick off. It's going to be a good one. We got baseball season to start back. How about former Daniel Little coming back, former Panther coming back now and taking the reins. And um, so uh, Panther baseball, very good hands going forward. But I know it means a lot to you when you come back for alumni day and stuff, just to see all those guys. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Looking forward to it, man. And, and uh, the opportunity to get back down there and see everybody and going to be uh, doing some stuff for the softball team this year. We did a, a, a buy-in last year for the for the men's team, and so this year we're gonna take care of the ladies. And and, and Lee, if I if I can end it with one quote, man, and it's something I want people to think about, and you tell your your players, your teammates, and, and things like this when it comes to to sports, it's not about what you do on the field. No matter what you do, it doesn't matter. It's all about what kind of person you are when the lights go off for good. Yep. Absolutely, man. And that legacy will last forever, man. And uh, you got one of the best legacies I know, man. You were voted one of two people most likely to succeed. And I would dare say you uh, pretty much answered the call on that label, my friend. So you have succeeded in everything that you've done, man. And uh, just a pleasure to know you. Thank, thank you for all the memories. Thank you for the lifelong friendship, brother. And Man, hopefully get to talk to you again real soon. Absolutely, Lee. Thank you again, man. And you take care. God bless you. All right, man. Appreciate Vernon Money Walton taking the time to be with us here on the podcast today. Hope you guys enjoyed this. I know a lot of former Abbeville folks are going to be a part of this and uh, be able to hear this. So uh, make sure you listen to it, share it. A lot of baseball players out there today, a lot of young bucks need to hear uh, some words of wisdom from my man, uh, Mr. Vernon Walton. So money, man, God bless you, man. We'll talk to you soon, brother. Okay, Lee. Take care, brother. All right. Hope you guys have stay safe out there. We'll have another podcast coming at you soon.